Kale Clark here. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Check out Charity Mobile and prayerfully consider making them your wireless carrier. Mention offer code relevant radio and get a free phone. Don't delay. CharityMobile.com. That's CharityMobile.com. Fascinating facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Magnificent Monday. Welcome to a brand new week on The Kale Clark Show. We've got lots of great stuff for you today. Want to give out the phone number so you can call me and talk to me for free. Why? Because our listener line is sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance. You can call right now. You bet your life you can get in. 888 And of course, you can follow me on the X app, which is currently the only social media app I am on. Maybe that'll change, but right now it's just that. And you can find me there at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And of course, you can email the program. The address is Kale, C-A-L-E, at RelevantRadio.com. So let's get after it. Let's crack open. Yep, that's a real sound effect. It's not fake. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a sip out of all that is good this week. And I got to tell you, speaking of email, and again, you can email me show ideas, links to stories, things that you think I might have a good take on questions that you want answered. I'll try to do my best. The address is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. Our good friend Lucas Holt, who's uh, pretty pretty pumped up about the Miami Dolphins, noted Miami Dolphins fan. Uh, they're playing on Monday Night Football tonight, two games on Monday Night Football tonight. Well, he he's also a fan of the arts, my friends, and he sent me a, a piece, and I did not know about this. The real This is a crazy story. The real-life bishop from Les Miserables. <laughs> is going to be hopefully canonized soon. He's on the path to beatification. Yeah, Les Miserables. Now, if you don't know the book, which was published, of course, in the 1800s by Victor Hugo, you might know the Broadway play. You might know even more the movies. And there's been more than one, but the, the movie that most people know came out in 2012 starring Hugh Jackman as Jean Valjean. Of course, Anne Hathaway was in that movie. Not to mention Russell Crowe who played Jovert, the cop, and uh, he tried to sing, too. I, 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 let's put it this way. The performance did not get as many kudos as his performance in Gladiator, especially when it came to his singing. I, I, I didn't mind it that much, but a lot of people had issues, including producer Jim had some huge issues with uh, Russell Crowe as, as Jovert. But having said that, um, the real-life bishop uh, who is at the center of the transformation of Jean Valjean's life in the book, in the play, in the movies. Like I said, he may in fact be beatified very, very soon. It's such a cool story. And uh, there's a, a piece that was written about this in Our Sunday Visitor by Caroline de Sury. And who knows, she might be uh, located in France as well. She seems to have a French last name. And the real bishop, now his name, by the way, is Bishop Bienvenu, de Mioli, and uh, he lived from 1753 to 1843. And, and the bishops of France, who, who just gathered, by the way, last month in Lourdes for their assembly, they voted to open up his cause for beatification. This is really, really cool. Now, this Bishop Bienvenu de Mioli, he was actually the inspiration for Victor Hugo's character, Bishop Muriel, in the novel Les Miserables, which, of course, originally was published in 1862. 
Bishop Muriel in the in the novel and in the play and in the movies, he's very close to the poor, lives a very very you know austere life, and of course Jean Valjean, who was played by Hugh Jackman, had just been released from prison from the penal colony, and he stays at the bishop's house, and on the way out he steals some very precious silver. I hope I'm not blowing the story for anybody. Most people know about this, but. Um, he takes the silverware, precious on the open market, he's hoping to sell it, get some cash, but he gets caught. He gets caught by the cops, and they drag him back to the bishop's house, I guess, to return his stuff and to, hey, can you ID this guy? Was he staying at your place? But the, but the bishop does something completely unexpected, and it's one of the most touching moments, uh, certainly in the stage play, which I happened to see, by the way, on Broadway. There was one, I think it was the first play I ever saw on Broadway. Uh, I saw Les Miserables, and I, I didn't know anything about it, really, because I wasn't into, unlike my wife, who listens to all the Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals and has all the soundtracks, whether it be Cats or you name it, um, I, I really didn't know much about it. But I found myself profoundly moved by it when I, when I saw it on Broadway. I was in my early 20s, and, and just the profound Christian message that is there. And, and, of course, one of the key moments in terms of the faith is this moment when, and I don't want to spoil it for you, so, in fact, I'm going to play you a clip from the 2012 Les Miserables film, where Jean Valjean gets dragged back to the bishop's house, and you'll just hear what happens next. Check it out. Get in there! Put him down! Stay there! Monsignor, we have your silver. We caught this man red-handed. Get the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend... You left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go. With you. But remember this, my brother. Seeing this some higher plan, you must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyrs. By the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. I have saved your soul for God. All right, that was from the 2012 film Les Miserables. And if you're just tuning in now, you are listening to The K.O. Clark Show. You didn't just stumble upon a performance from The Merry Beggars. And, and that, that is the scene, of course, where Jean Valjean, played by Hugh Jackman, he's dragged back to the bishop's residence, uh, Bishop Muriel. He's stolen his silverware. And he, he, I mean, the bishop could have just dropped the hammer on this guy, sent him back to prison for the rest of his life, a life of hard labor. But he sets him free. He said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Not only did I give him this stuff that you think he stole, hey, Jean Valjean, you forgot the candlesticks, the silver candlesticks. They're the most precious of all. So please use these to make an honest man out of yourself and to follow God. It's just such a beautiful moment. 
in the play, in the film, and of course in the original book by Victor Hugo. So th this is the transformation that really began in the heart and the soul of Jean Valjean. And the, the current bishop, by the way, of this diocese, where this actually happened, and like I said just before that clip, the real-life bishop that was the inspiration for Bishop Muriel in the book, in the play, in the film, was Bishop Bienvenu de Mioli, and he is actually on the road now to beatification. Now, the current bishop of this area, by the way, this place is called Digne, uh, is Emmanuel Gobillard. And by the way, where, where is this all located? This, this is actually in a very picturesque area of southern France. It's not too far from Mar Marseille, very close to the Italian border. And, and the current bishop was, was interviewed by our Sunday visitor, and he said, you know, there's a lot of stuff in the, in the original novel, Les Miserables, that's totally based on real events. And, and the true story of Bishop Mioli is very similar to what Victor Hugo recounted uh, with Bishop Muriel. And in fact, so the real-life guy, Bishop uh, de Mioli, was ordained in 19, or so not 19, so 1777. How about that? And he was the Bishop of Digne for 33 years. And these are really, really tough times. The years that really followed right upon the heels of the French Revolution, uh, in the time of Napoleon. I don't know. Have you seen it? By the way, speaking of Russell Crowe, Ridley Scott, they worked a lot together. Have you seen the new Ridley Scott film on Napoleon? I, I haven't seen it yet, but I totally want to. Uh, let me know if it's worth checking out. 888-914-9149. That's the studio line. Uh, it's been accused of not being historically accurate, and Ridley Scott said, hey, anybody who thinks that needs to get a life, it's the movies. Anyways, Joaquin Phoenix is in it, who was also in Gladiator, by the way. Okay, I'm totally on a rabbit trail here. So let's, let's get back to the real-life Bishop de Mioli. So he lived at the time of Napoleon, and he was... It was a tough time for the church because obviously the French Revolution was not a, a kind moment for Catholics. And he had a rough time trying to catechize all the rural areas, the poorest of the poor. He was really fond of working with them. And he didn't write anything. He didn't leave any books behind, no written homilies that we know of, no mystical experiences. But he spent all of his time on the road visiting parishes. And everybody who sort of lived there at that time, said that he was already a living saint. And hopefully we're all living saints, but some people have this reputation because you can, you can just kind of see it, and the faithful kind of know it. And so he lived very modestly. He was, he was very careful to attend to the poor, to beggars, maybe some merry beggars even, perhaps, who knows. But uh, this, is, and this is really the inspiration for what, what got into the book and the eventual movie. In 1806, Bishop de Mioli took in a freed prisoner, a freed convict. And his name was not Jean Valjean. It was Pierre Morin. Nobody wanted this guy. Nobody wanted to hire this guy. Nobody wanted to help this guy. Nobody wanted to give him a place to sleep. So he took him in. The bishop took him in and, and looked for ways for him to regain his human dignity. And that's, that's what inspired Victor Hugo. He found out about this, and he made sure that this somehow got into the book. Well, the bishop had to step away because of his health was extremely poor, and he moved into the home of his sister. And by the way, even in even in the novel Les Miserables, Bishop Muriel actually has a sister, Kenneth. So it's all based on real life. And when the real life Bishop de Mioli died in 1843, he was 90 years old, and huge crowds came to his funeral, mostly the poor, the rural souls. 
the ordinary people whose lives he touched uh, so deeply. And he was buried in the Cathedral of St. Jerome, St. Jerome, in a place called Digne-les-Bains. And there's almost like this popular groundswell, almost like a Santo Subito type movement, sainthood now, uh, from the very moment uh, of his burial. And anyway, so it's kind of cool because the, the current bishop, who, who actually is part of this real-life diocese right now, he actually said that when he was appointed bishop in the year 2022, Pope Francis actually told him, hey, you've got to follow the example of Bishop de Mioli, who who's the inspiration for Les Miserables. And do what he did. Make pastoral visits to your people. Go out and see the people. And Pope Francis always said that the bishop should have the smell of the sheep on him. Like He should be with the people. He shouldn't be an airport bishop. He shouldn't be flying all over the world. He should be with his people. And so this current bishop said, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. I'm on the road all year round visiting my parishes. And the cool thing, this is really cool. We can kind of steal this. You can, you can steal this in your own life. The current bishop, he actually doesn't have a car. He doesn't use his own car. He doesn't have a car. He doesn't have a driver. And uh, and, and by the way, I, I've, I've known some bishops who actually have had to have bulletproof cars because you, know, you can never be too careful. And they do have drivers. It's kind of like you're a secret agent or something. But that's what the, not what this guy does. He in in, Fran- in France, he basically uses something like Uber. I don't know whether it is Uber, but he uses online car sharing, and and he makes sure that he can like whenever he's going to visit a parish. He always wants to catch a ride with somebody else. He can kind of carpool with other people and split the tab. And so what he does is he evangelizes in the car. He evangelizes in these sort of Ubers, if you will. And he says, hey, have you ever heard about the the Uber man, the Uber mensch? It's Jesus. No, he doesn't say that, but you could say that if you're in an Uber. But he says, I just love meeting people, especially young people. And most of them, it seems hard to believe, but he says, the people that I meet in these Ubers They've never heard of Jesus Christ, which seems hard to believe, but I, I, I don't know. Just the level of religious, just lack of knowledge, just the, it's, it's out there. It's out there. And despite the fact we're in the information age, a lot of people don't know the straight goods about Jesus, and they don't know much about the gospel either. And so Bishop Gobiard, he's the current bishop, he says, what I do is I take a page of the gospel and I read it to them. And they're super interested. They're like, man, I want to know more. They're just full of wonder. So I thought that was really, really cool that, that the real-life guy who's the inspiration for the bishop in Les Miserables is on the road to hopefully beatification and future canonization. And the current bishop is, is kind of following in his footsteps, just being a man of the people, being out there, evangelizing. I love that. So uh, Caroline de Suri, I wrote this piece for our Sunday Visitor. We'll put a link to this in, in the show notes, too. By the way, you're listening to The K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 Well, a question that I get a lot from people, and you probably asked this yourself at some point, who hasn't? What is the will of God for my life? And I'm not talking about in the generalities. I'm talking about in the particular, in the nitty-gritty, the, the, the decisions that only you have to make about the particular situations that come up in your life. I'm going to try to share what I've learned about that in the next segment of the show. So stick with me. I'll be right back after this break. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 
Hi, this is Kale Clark. Thanks for listening to my podcast. Check out Charity Mobile and prayerfully consider making them your wireless carrier. They're a pro-life phone company and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to Relevant Radio or another pro-life charity of your choice. For a limited time, new customers who mention offer code Relevant Radio get a free phone with free activation and free shipping. Don't delay. CharityMobile.com. That's CharityMobile.com. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program on this Monday, December the 11th. 888-914-9149 is the number to call toll-free to talk to me, sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance, 888-914-9149. You know, a question that a lot of people ask, I'm sure you've asked it, everyone has asked this, if they're serious about their faith in any way, how can I be sure that I'm not missing out on the Lord's will? Now, of course, we all know what Jesus said In the Gospel of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's a serious warning. And we talked about it just a few days ago uh, on on the show in context of uh, the parable Jesus tells about the two houses, one built on rock, one built on sand. The storms come, and storms of life will come for us, whether we're ready or not. The question is, are we doing the Lord's will? Have we built our house on a solid foundation? I, I got to tell you a little joke about this. <laughs> and, and, and I can say this. I'm allowed to say this because I am Irish. I come from an Irish background. I don't know if you've heard the account of the Irish lady who gave thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars in her lifetime to various Catholic charities, may have even donated a large amount to Relevant Radio. And uh, anyway, so she, the end of her life comes, her last moments on earth, she dies, she's at the pearly gates, and she finds that her name is not written in the book of life. So she's like, no, 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 look, St. Pete, there's got to be a mistake here. You don't understand. I, I mean, I, I've, got, I've got the credentials. I've, I've given, I've given to all kinds of campaigns. I've given to pledge drives. I, I've done everything. I've done it all. I've done it all. My name has to be in the book of life. So listen, she says, I'm Irish. I want you to go get St. Patrick and, and he'll come out and he'll, he'll, he'll set you right. He'll sort all this out. Trust me. So St. Peter's like, all right, all right. So St. Patrick comes out and he's like, look, this lady says her name's not in the book of life and it should be. And he, you know, St. Patrick kind of looks at it for a minute and kind of pulls St. Peter aside. So they're kind of having a little powwow. And she's like, what are you guys talking about? What are you guys talking about? Okay, they finally come back, St. Peter and St. Patrick, and they say, look, all right, I'm sorry. Look, the best we can do, lady, is just give you your money back. That's all we can do because you can't buy your way in. You cannot buy your way into the kingdom of heaven. Now, we do think you should donate to fine Catholic causes, of course, uh, but, of course, your name needs to be written in the book of life. And how do you get there? Well, Jesus says you've got to do the will of your Father in heaven. And so... Can't bribe God. Uh, we give because He's blessed us with with resources, and and we want to give not because we want our name on some plaque, some ceremonial plaque, or or 
thinking we can buy our way into heaven, but as an expression of thanksgiving for all the, the great things that God has given to us. But it's, it's really important that we, we get things right, that we do do the will of our Father in heaven. So I think it's, it's really important to, to know that when most people ask this question, they're usually asking about the particular will of God. Because the general will of God is pretty well known. And when people ask questions about, oh, should I move here or there? Should I marry this person? Um, should I take this job? Should I make this decision? I always say, if you're not trying as best you can, not that we're perfect. We, we, we fall in many ways. We have to go to confession on a regular basis. At least we should be for sure. If you're not even making an effort to keep the general will of God, which is for all people at all times, the Ten Commandments, uh, what, what the teachings of the Catholic Church are on faith and morality, sacred scripture as well as sacred tradition, what's super clear in the Bible that we know we need to adhere to. As Jesus says in the Gospel, if you love me, you obey my commandments. So if we're not even obeying the general will of God for all people, then what makes you think that he's going to give you more insight into his particular will for you, the, the actual nitty-gritty individual decisions that you have to make every day, some big, some small, but you will not find the answer to that question in any book of the Bible or anywhere in the Catechism. Which girl should I marry, for example? So you can still, though, you can still have great confidence if we just put a few different principles into play that we're not going to get too far off. We're, we're going to be smack dab in the middle of God's will. And in fact, the first reading today in this Monday of the second week of Advent comes from the book of Isaiah. And I just love this reading from Isaiah chapter 35. And I encourage you guys to read it if you haven't uh, checked out the mass readings for today. I just want to highlight just a couple verses here. Streams will burst forth in the desert and rivers in the steppe. The burning sands will become pools and the thirsty ground springs of water. The abode where jackals lurk will be a marsh for the reed and papyrus. A highway will be there called the Holy Way. No one unclean may pass over it, nor fools go astray on it. No lion will be there, no beast of prey go up to be met upon it. It is for those with a journey to make. And on it the redeemed will walk. Those whom the Lord has ransomed will return and enter Zion singing. So I guess you could say, it's a highway to heaven. <laughs> it's a highway called the Holy Way, and it says that even fools will not go astray on it. I don't know about you, but I can be pretty foolish at times, and I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. So if there's a way that I can be guaranteed, that I can walk on a road that's going to get me to heaven, I'm going to fulfill God's will, I'm going to try to take that road. So, so how can we really make sure that we're walking on that path, that where you are right now, wherever you might be with your job, with your particular assignments, whatever your situation is in the house that you're living on, on the street that you happen to be in, this is the will of God for you in this particular moment, to be in a particular city, in a particular state, maybe in a particular country at this particular time. These are the things that God takes into account. So it's really important. In Acts chapter 17, St. Paul's in Athens, and he's telling them as he's preaching. It's a great homily. You should definitely check it out. He says, From one man God made every nation of men 
and he determined the exact places and times where they should live. It's not an accident. Where you are right now, it's not an accident. It's not unknown to God. The friends that you have, the situations that you're in, he knows all about it. In fact, he's strategically placed you there so that you might, as St. Paul says in that chapter, he did this so that people would reach out and find him. We've got to find God in the midst of our everyday activities in, in, in everyday life. We have to, to, to realize that ordinary life can be truly extraordinary when we realize Christ is right in the middle of it. So what is the will of God for us? Well, sometimes he whispers it in your ear. Sometimes it's a shout, but he can make it very, very clear if you need it to be. And, and we have to also, by the way, do this for other people to help them see that God has a particular will for them. So it's important that we're doing what God wants us to be doing because a lot of things are riding on it. A lot of, a lot of things are riding on your personal holiness and whether or not you're corresponding with God's grace, whether or not you become a, a canonizable saint, a lot of things depend on that. And a lot of people are depending on, on you and, and, and me. So we've got to, um, first of all, I think, in terms of these particular choices, always put God's will and God's desires first. Because there, there are a bunch of things that, that we might want to do that, humanly speaking, might seem more attractive to us or... My, whatever your mood might be or whatever, how you're feeling that day, your hormones, whatever. You know, there, there's a lot of things that you might want to do, but you have to sit and ask the question, what is the choice that's going to bring the most glory to God and the most uh, fruit for the kingdom? We And I think really it starts with just accepting God's will for us, whatever that might be. And uh, St. Jose Maria Escrivá, the founder of Opus Dei, he said this in, in his spiritual classic, The Way, accepting the will of God wholeheartedly is the sure way of finding joy and peace. So, I mean, if you, if you set up, um, I don't know, set up a table and, and a sandwich board with a sign on it on Fifth Avenue in New York City or maybe on Michigan Avenue in Chicago, and, and, you, were, and you set up a table with a sign that said, I have the sure way of finding joy and peace, you, you would get some, some, some interested looks. You might even get a lineup at your stall, trying to find out what exactly is the secret here, because who wouldn't want to know that? Who wouldn't want to know that? Well, part of it is, uh, part of the answer to that is the part that we don't necessarily like from a human perspective, because <laughs> he went on to say this, St. Jose Maria said, well, happiness is in the cross, because then we realize that the yoke of Christ is very sweet and his burden is not heavy because he does ask us to carry the cross every day. He asks us to pick it up every day and carry it. And we, we almost don't want to because we think it looks foreboding. It, it's going to hurt. There's going to be splinters. But we, when we pick it up, we realize that he can almost be that Simon of Cyrene for us. Just as Simon of Cyrene helped Jesus carry his cross, Jesus himself helps us to carry ours. And so... We have to say to him, hey, if this is your will, it's my will too. And it might mean a change of plans. It might mean God saying, go here instead of there, or do this instead of that. Or you're in a tough situation right now, but maybe he doesn't want you to run away from it. He doesn't want you to run away from the cross, if you will. Maybe he wants you to stick it out in a tough situation. Maybe you've got a, a problem at work, um, and you just want to quit. You just want to run away. You just want to do something else. And you engage in 
mystical, wishful thinking, as St. Jose Maria said. <laughs> what if I hadn't done this? What if I hadn't taken this job? Or what if I hadn't moved to this place? Or what if I hadn't married this person? Or what if I, 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 I did marry this person? Or whatever, a, a priest might say, hey, what if I had gotten married and I shouldn't have done this? And no, that, that's nothing but mystical, wishful thinking, the what-if game. Don't play that game. You need to understand God has superintended the whole thing, and, and you've got to find him in your current situation. And so that, that's, that's tough sometimes. That, that's really tough. And so with, with these particular choices that we have to make, one of the toughest things that we have to do sometimes is choose between two things that are, that are both good. And I don't think we should stress ourselves out too much about, about these things. But um, we do have to understand that what's most important is to not just do good things, but do the best thing, the, the right thing for us. And that's why I think it's so important to have a spiritual director. And if you don't have a spiritual director, I highly encourage you to try to get one. And maybe one of the best things you could do is call into the Inner Life Show every day on Relevant Radio because there are spiritual directors, there are priests who come on every single day and they answer people's questions. Now, that's a start for sure, and maybe they can help you and recommend to you an actual spiritual director, somebody in your area, uh, a priest maybe that you could turn to because it's crucially important to get that spiritual coach in your life. Uh, I always say if Tiger Woods needs a golf coach, I probably need a coach in the spiritual life because uh, I'm not exactly the goat uh, of Catholic saints right now, but, but we aspire to be for sure. And the, the danger is always our self-love, our self-indulgence, and, and, and the way that we look at situations in our life may, may not be the way God looks at it. Because we're not objective. And this is why we, we need that other set of eyes. That's why we need a spiritual director. It's like going to the doctor. You've got to show him the wounds. And then he's not, he's not in the middle of it like you are. He's not wrapped up in the, in the passion of, of the decision and the emotions and everything. You kind of look at it more dispassionately, more objectively, hopefully, and say, hey, maybe you should think about doing this. And the great, the great thing about that, I believe, it just takes a lot of the pressure off to have a spiritual director because they have this sort of grace of state. And if you, if you are, are trusting in that process of spiritual direction for these questions that well, there's no real clear-cut answer in the teaching of the church or in, in, in the scriptures, you can always say to God at the end of time, I was just following my director's advice. If he's wrong, blame him. But I was, I was working the process. I was following the process. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 You know, it's, it's interesting. One of, the, one of the things about the will of God for our life, sometimes we, can, we have to make some tough choices, especially when it comes to the people who are, who are really, really close to us. Um, thinking about especially family members. I always think about the time when, and this is, of course, one of the mysteries of the rosary, one of the joyful mysteries of the rosary, the, the first, sorry, the fifth joyful mystery, the finding of the child Jesus in the temple. When Jesus, you know, very providentially got, quote unquote, lost, and Mary and Joseph, of course, are looking eagerly for him. They can't find him. He's in the caravan somewhere because when, when they would travel to these feasts from places like Nazareth and they would go to Jerusalem, they would travel in caravans because it was dangerous. There are thieves, there are bandits, 
you don't want to be caught. They're wild animals who travel in groups for safety, security, and they just thought Jesus was somewhere in the pack, somewhere with their neighbors or, or relatives. And they realize after a while, he's, after three days, he's not there. So they go back looking for him, of course, and they find him teaching in the Jerusalem temple. And speaking of uh, of St. Josemaria, one, one of the points, and I, this isn't an exact um, quote from him, but somewhere he said something like, hey, what I really want for you is if you work the way that Jesus worked in Joseph's carpentry shop, like if you, that professionalism, that dedication, if you could work the way he worked, yet study the faith and know the faith so well that you can have, you could be like Jesus as a 12 year old talking to the doctors of the law. Like just, just know your faith really well. You don't have to be a professional scribe where, and most of us are not going to be members of the clergy or, or teaching in seminaries or teaching in universities. But, but if you know your faith really well and, and you're, you're excellent at your work, that's a great, great testimony. So take as your model, Jesus in the temple talking to these guys, talking about the faith, learning the faith, and Jesus in the carpentry shop in Nazareth. That's a pretty good combination right there. It's going to attract a lot of people. So, anyways, Jesus is there in the temple. He's talking to the doctors of the law, the teachers. And this is a, this is a tough trial for Mary and Joseph. But it was, there's also a great lesson in, in that as well, a great, a great light. And Christ said, don't you know, I had to be in my father's house. This was the will of God for me. This is the will of the Father for me right now. And the mission took priority over the human plans. Because we have to obey God more so than people. And and sometimes that's true even of our parents. And we have to honor our parents, our, our mother and father, of course. It's one of the commandments. But there may be times, and maybe you're a young person listening right now, maybe you have a call in your life to... Maybe it's the priesthood if you're a young man. Maybe it's becoming a religious. And maybe your parents don't want that for you. And, and or, or maybe it's a call to marriage. They don't want that for you. But you know you're called to this. And sometimes you have to make a tough choice about putting God's will first because uh, he comes first. He, he absolutely has to be number one in our lives. And, and you can imagine how tough it was for, for Mary and Joseph to, to a ha- to, uh, human level to see him not there. And I remember when I got lost, I, I've told you the story. I was in a movie uh, with my, my mom and my sister, and uh, it was a James Bond movie, and my sister was bugging me, so I moved up to the front row. My mom just thought I went out for popcorn or something, and I never came back. I was watching the movie the whole time, and my mother got increasingly worried. She's a worry ward anyways, but any mother, their child doesn't come back after a while. They're going to freak out. So she gets mall security. She's got all these people looking for me all over the place. And I come out of the movie. I'm like, that was a great flick. And then I, I open the theater doors and the cops are there. My mom's there. My sister's there looking pretty mad because she had to leave the movie early to look for me as well. I was there the whole time. A- anyways, um, it wasn't a fun ride home. But if you're a parent and your child goes missing for even five seconds, it's it's incredibly disturbing and and uh, just a nightmare scenario. So imagine, imagine how they how they felt, and and we have to understand that um, that 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 kind of pain was something that Our Lady had to, had to deal with all the time in accepting the will of God, and that was maybe the least of it. Obviously, at the presentation, Simeon says a sword will pierce your own soul as well, and that did happen, of course, at the foot of the cross. 
and she has to witness the suffering of her son, the greatest suffering that's ever been experienced by any human person. And when, when Jesus didn't, didn't, at a human level, wasn't looking for this. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if there's any way to take this chalice of suffering away from me, let's do it. But immediately he says, not my will, but yours be done. So the triumph of God's will over our own is something that Jesus really always sets the example in. What would Jesus do here? And we have to do that. And understanding that his ways are not our ways. And and things have a way of, of working themselves out sometimes. There are these situations in which we find ourselves that's really, really tough to know God's will. And God knows the whole, like he knows the chessboard, he knows all the moves, he knows all the pieces, he knows the future moves. We've got to leave everything in his hands and leave it to his fatherly plan. And, and this, is, this is one of the things that St. Paul says, and in our Faith Explained show, we're going through the letter to the Romans in, in chapters 9, 10, 11. It's such a beautiful meditation by Paul, and he says, how inscrutable are the ways of God. At a human level, we, we, we don't get it at the time, but we see in the end how beautiful it was, the will of God, the trust, the providence behind everything, how he brings about his plan. And, and uh, we're going to be looking at this this week, the, maybe the most famous verse in the letter to the Romans, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Omnia in bonum, you know, in all things, God works for the good. And that's tough to, to believe sometimes in the moment that not just some things, but, but all things work for the good. And, and that can give us a lot of peace. That can give us a lot of peace. And so we've got to pray more, got to focus more and understand that, that he knows. The Lord knows. Absolutely. All right. We got to take a break right now on the K.O. Clark Show, 888-914-9149. But we'll be right back and we'll deal with all the craziness surrounding what happened on Friday. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll explain it after the break. A lot of people with egg on their faces today. I'll say that. 888-914-9149. Be right back. Helping you keep your mind off traffic and on the more important things in life. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. All right. Welcome back to the Kale Clark Show. It's our final segment on this Monday, December the 11th, 888 is the number to call if you want to get in on any of the stuff that we have been talking about. And let's get after it. Let's get after it. Here we go. Trying to channel Dak Prescott there. I don't know if it sounded like him or not. But anyways, here we go with our last segment. And the Kale Clark Show, as you know, is about faith, facts, and fun. We're going to have some fun right now on Friday afternoon. Now, maybe a lot of you guys were you know, checking out of work and getting home for the weekend. Maybe you missed this. We did talk about this a little bit on Friday. But the, the entire Internet was abuzz. Twitter, which is not called Twitter anymore, of course, it's X, was absolutely a flutter with all kinds of rumors about the modern-day Babe Ruth, of course, the Japanese sensation Shohei Otani, uh, who, of course, was on the verge of signing with somebody, some Major League Baseball team, a record contract, which he did, obviously, as we know. He did sign with the L.A. Dodgers for $700 million, so close to a billion. This dwarfs any other contract that's ever been given to anybody I think it's a good investment. That might sound crazy. I think it's a really, really good investment. But there was a huge rumor, which obviously I was super excited about. And everybody was texting me. People from Relevant Radio were texting me 
saying, man, this could be the greatest day of your life, Gail. And, uh, well, I mean, I am married and stuff. That was a pretty good day, too. The birth of Michaela that was pretty cool. Uh, baptism, of course, most important day of my life. But there was all kinds of rumors that Shohei Otani was about to sign with my Toronto Blue Jays. And it was kind of like a, a Santa tracker. Um, somebody on the, on the Internet, somebody on Twitter had figured out that there was a private plane that was leaving from Anaheim, California, of course, the home of Otani's former team, the Los Angeles Angels. It used to be known as the Anaheim Angels. But in uh, this private plane, this private jet, was flying on a flight path to Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And everybody was speculating that Otani was on the plane because a baseball writer, John Morosi, had broken the news that, yep, he's signing with the Blue Jays. It's a done deal. He's flying to Toronto. And everyone thought, this plane has got to be his plane. And he's, he's coming to sign the contract. So people were freaking out. The plane lands. And who gets off the plane? Robert Herjavec, the guy from Shark Tank. Yeah, who, he's a Canadian as well. And, of course, as soon as he got off the plane, everyone was like, oh, it's you. And he's like, hey, come on, man. I'm the guy from Shark Tank. Give me, give me. Well, unless you can play the outfield and, and both pitch and hit and, and win MVPs, we're not interested. So I want to bring in right now uh, our own Patrick Alog, who is a noted Los Angeles Dodger fan, although although he's kind of given up on the Dodgers because of the whole Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence scandal fiasco that happened last year. Is this enough, Patrick, to make you once again bleed Dodger blue? No, but then it's you know it's just curious in terms of just watching the whole coverage and stuff. And I wasn't following it as much as you were. I know you were excited about him possibly going to the Blue Jays, but oh, there's yeah. so much speculation in terms of which team is going to be signing it and. You know what? I was just going to wait until I got the news alert that he was going to sign. I, I don't have ESPN notifications on my phone because I would get so much. So I have yeah. I had Fox News alert. And when I saw the okay. Fox News on Saturday that he signed for $700 million, I was like, okay, this must, be, this must be true then. So I was in shock when I saw the number. The last time I was in shock for a number that big was when I think A-Rod signed for $252 million yeah. about 15 years ago, 20 years ago when I was in, when I was in high school still. So, but yeah, when I was, saw a $700 million number, dollars, I was like, wow. Yeah, I mean, it was just crazy numbers. And, 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 I mean, the only number that was almost as big as that was uh, John Rahm, of course, as you know, uh, left uh, the PGA Tour. He signed with Live Golf, and the rumor is he signed for 566 million dollars but this dwarfs even that i mean this this is unbelievable here's a clip by the way from espn's alden gonzalez on he, he just kind of breaks down for you really quickly what makes shohei otani such a unicorn and why would somebody ever want to throw that much that much cheddar his way check it out major league baseball began nearly 150 years ago and has since employed more than 20,000 players no one has ever possessed Otani's skill set. Nobody combined prodigious power with blazing speed, blistering fastballs with devastating benders, and advanced feel on the mound with an astute presence in the box. Babe Ruth came closest more than a century ago, but his time as a two-way player lasted parts of two seasons. Otani's spanned almost three entire ones, two of which, including this last one, ended in unanimous MVP selection. Only 19 players have won the award in unanimous fashion. Otani now the first to do it multiple times. Yeah, and that voice you heard at the end of that clip was, of course, SVP, Scott Van Pelt, um, great ESPN Sports Center host. So, by, by the way, Otani, what, he was a unanimous MVP twice. 
in 2021 and 2023. He would have won it three straight years, but something happened in 2022. Aaron Judge broke Roger Maris's American League home run record, uh, hitting uh, the record was, of course, 61. And he finished with what, Patrick? 60, 62 or something. 62. Or, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know the exact number, but I know that he did break the, the record that Maris held. Yeah, and, and what's really cool about Otani as well is, and this is what's kind of interesting, and you might say, how does this apply from, from a Catholic perspective? Remember, just a few minutes ago in the show, I had said, I'd kind of given a, a quote, and I kind of paraphrased it from, from St. Jose Maria, where he said, you know, really, take as your model Jesus in the carpentry shop in Nazareth, and also debating the teachers of the law. You know, know your faith really, really well, yeah, like he did even as a 12-year-old, and be professionally excellent. And Otani is professionally excellent. It's not, it's not just that he's been given great natural gifts, obviously, but uh, there's a really interesting piece uh, up in The Athletic um, that talks about his, just his obsession for mastery in his craft. And I think we should all be trying to be great at what we do, no matter what that is, to be the Shohei Otani of our particular field, of our particular endeavor. And apparently, um, when he was a rookie in 2018, after coming over from playing in Japan, he was so obsessed that he, he used to lug binders with information uh, on other players, opposing hitters, opposing pitchers, and he would take them all over the place throughout his rookie season. And he he even like went to some weird baseball camp in Seattle to like when he was injured uh, in 2018 to to try to just like try to get better. And it just it's just crazy. He's just he's just obsessive about being the best and he wants to continually grow learn new things he wants mastery and uh i just think that's really something that that can uh we can really uh take take a page out of his book if you will or out of his binder and i i just i just think it's it's unreal people talk about babe ruth and he he's done better than babe ruth did i, I mean in terms of the body of work no he hasn't hit 714 home runs yet but i think you're looking at the best baseball player who's ever walked on this planet. I just think it's unbelievable. The only thing that I think might prevent him is if, you know, the injuries, obviously. what One of the reasons that I was a little surprised that the $700 million was because he's not even going to pitch next year. You know, he's that, just going to be a hitter. True. That's true. He's, uh, he's going to go for his second Tommy John surgery, which is a named after a pitcher named Tommy John who had this particular elbow surgery. It's, it was kind of a unique procedure at the time, but it's become kind of commonplace. But nobody's ever really done it twice and come back to be dominant but even if he just hits i think that's still a great investment because think about how much merchandise the dodgers are going to sell think think about all the eyeballs that i mean it's only going to help with media tv contracts all that stuff i think it's an investment because i mean uh, yeah that's the reason why i think the 700 million is because of the marketing opportunities for the dodgers with shoei Tani as well yeah no doubt no doubt Here, here's another quote from otani by the way before now, I'm going to say it in English. Uh, my Japanese is excellent. No, I'm only kidding. I don't know it at all. But uh, before the World Baseball Championships, uh, which happened, of course, in 2023. Now you might have heard about this. Otani's never been in the playoffs because the Angels have never made the playoffs, despite having the two best players in the game, and Otani and Mike Trout, who used to be the best player in the game before he came along, before Otani came along. But um, famous moment in the World Baseball Championships when Japan beat the United States in the gold medal game and Otani was on the mound. He struck out his Angels teammate, Mike Trout, and let out this big roar. Before the game, he gave a pregame speech to his teammates and he basically said, let's stop 
admiring them, like the American players. If you admire them, he said, you can't surpass them. We came here to surpass them, to reach the top. For one day, let's throw away our admiration for them and just think about winning. Uh, it's a cool speech, but here's how I can apply that in a Catholic perspective. We're all called to be saints, and sometimes we can look at the canonized saints in the Hall of Fame of Faith, if you will, as Otani surely one day will be in baseball, and we think, I, I'm, not, I'm never going to be able to do that. I, I, I admire the saints, but I, I'm not a saint. You can't think like that. You, you have to think that you can be a Hall of Famer when it comes to faith. What, is that a good analogy, Patrick? What do you think? That is a really good analogy. I mean, yeah, we, we see these saints as like, oh, higher, higher figures and whatever. But then, you know, we all could be saints just like them. We, we all should be. Mm-hmm. We should be. We should have our own stained glass window one day. That's, that's the goal. If your, go- your goal has to be canonizable saint, absolutely. Because if, if you aim lower than that, what happens if you miss, right? So <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. Try to be an MVP when it comes to the faith. Hey, thanks for stopping by, Patrick Alog. Appreciate the conversation. Jim Shaper produced day. Miranda Sinoceros took your phone calls. Hey, don't forget, tonight, 7 p.m., at the Shrine of Christ's Passion in Indiana, live, it'll be the Family Rosary Across America. Don't miss it. It's the eve of the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Take it away, Michaela. God bless everybody. Thank you for listening to my daddy.